If you want to play a Geralt of Rivia-esque character, I'm talking a ranger who knows more about monsters than just about anybody and can track them and then, upon finding them, cut them to ribbons in a whirling dervish of blades, then you're going to enjoy this episode. Welcome to D4. Hey everybody, so here at D4, each week we take a deep dive into one, sometimes two, specific character builds for our favorite TTRPGs. We crunch numbers about them, we theorycraft about them, not so that I can tell you the right way or the best way to play a certain character, but to explore one potential way to build and play a character in D&D and Pathfinder with the hopes of creating something that's both really fun but also really powerful to play. So if you enjoy creating characters for your favorite role-playing games almost as much as you enjoy playing the actual game itself, or if you're just looking for ideas or tips on how to build a character you're thinking about playing in-game, then welcome home. This is where you belong, and I'm really glad you're here, so thanks for being here. My name's Colby. Really quick, if you'd be interested in giving some additional support to me, to the channel, then I'd appreciate it if you would consider joining as a member. There's a little button down there, and for $2 a month, you actually can not only give me a little extra love, but also get a cheat sheet, a write-up that I create for each one of these builds to help you recreate this character in-game so that you don't have to go back, re-watch the video, take notes, etc. Huge shout out to my channel members. I really appreciate you guys. You truly help me out more than you probably realize and I'm super grateful. And for everybody else, I'm also really grateful for you just being here, watching, subscribing, especially if you haven't, liking, commenting. These are all also great ways to support the channel, so thank you. All right. Here are two truths about D&D 5e. Truth number one, mechanically speaking, rangers aren't super awesome. This of course is a generalization, and it's a lot more true of the version of the ranger we were originally given in the player's handbook, and it got a lot better post Tasha's Cauldron of Everything for those familiar with D&D. And then also with a little love from some additional subclasses. The Gloomstalker Ranger in D&D might be the most powerful. I did a video on him there. But the Fae Wanderer is actually my favorite conceptually. And um, you can see a video on those there. Truth number two. Mechanically speaking, two-weapon fighting is generally inferior to attacking with a two-handed weapon and attacking with ranged weapons in D&D 5e. You can certainly make strong, viable characters who dual-wield. Um, I tried to do that with the Eldritch Blade Master, among others. That might have been my favorite two-weapon fighting build. But, you know, thanks to feats like Polearm Master, Great Weapon Master, Crossbow Expert, and Sharpshooter, when it comes to damage, at least, using two light weapons tends to just not work as well, which is a real shame, because ever since my two lightsaber-wielding light side Revan uh, in Knights of the Old Republic, way back in the day. Two-weapon fighting is my favorite way to play a melee character, aside maybe from no-weapon-using monks, of course. So imagine my great surprise and joy when I learned that not only were rangers potentially one of the hardest-hitting classes in Pathfinder 2e, but they were arguably at their best when they were, yes, 
dual-wielding melee weapons. Upon hearing this, I quickly put dual-wielding ranger at the top of my to-do list for future Pathfinder character builds, and today is the day I take a crack at the concept. So no, today we are not going to be building a ranged ranger. We'll save bows for another build. And no, we're not the pet-friendly ranger archetype so common in RPGs and TTRPGs the world over, though I'm sure there's a great build there too. Instead, we are going to be a ranger perhaps more akin to where the name of the class originated from in fantasy fiction. More Aragorn than Legolas, right? But this ranger has two narsils. <laughs> they make more attacks effectively than, than most characters, I think, in Pathfinder 2e. They are a whirling dervish of blades blending up bad guys on the battlefield. In fact, they might be the only build where your teammates don't criticize you for just using as many of your actions as you can to make strikes, because yes, today we're going to be building Pathfinder episode number four, the Flurry Ranger. Huge shout out and thanks to my good friend Randall Hampton for the fantastic artwork that he came up with for the character concept today. He does this every week. I love his style and his talent. Also, just in case you didn't know, he does have a Kickstarter and it's almost finished as of the date that I'm publishing this. It's called Little Game Masters. It's designed to be a family-friendly, kind of kid-oriented TTRPG. So if you're looking to be role-playing with the kids in your life, I cannot recommend this Kickstarter project strongly enough. Go back it, you won't regret it. Congrats, Randall, on the successful Kickstarter. Thanks as always. And before we jump into the build, of course, I'm super excited to tell you guys about another Kickstarter, the latest from Hitpoint Press, one of my very favorite third-party content creators for TTRPGs. This latest project, it just launched last week on Kickstarter, and I'm confident has already destroyed its funding goal, just like everything Hitpoint Press does, is called Big Bads. Big Bads is a collection of the biggest, baddest bosses and more for D&D 5e. It's based on the collection of Big Bad booklets that they released monthly to Patreon supporters over the last several months. Now they're assembling them all, and backers of this Kickstarter get those first 25 Big Bads in an awesome book, as well as new exclusive Big Bads that will be unlockable as stretch goals for the Kickstarter. Plus loads of non-boss monsters, magic items, and much, much more. So actually there are two volumes to this Kickstarter, the Big Bads book and the Creatures and Curios book. In Big Bads, you're gonna get the bosses, which by the way, are more than just stat blocks. They each come with their own backstories, tactics, minions, and more. You can drop one of these bosses into a one-shot or into an ongoing adventure, or you could even craft an entire campaign around these bosses, and the book gives you tools to help you do just that. In addition, you also get dozens of new magic items in this book. You get new character options, backgrounds, feats, new equipment, and over 90 adventure hooks. As for the Creatures in Curios book, it is both a bestiary and like a magic item compendium. It's got over a hundred new creatures, over a hundred new magic items. It's exceptionally organized for easy reference, and you even get random roll tables to help you choose the perfect item for any situation. Of course, my favorite thing about both of these books is the artwork. It's as gorgeous as anything Hit Point Press does if also sometimes terrifying, as you can no doubt tell. So 
do yourself a favor and go back this project if you haven't. Remember, if you back it before it goes to press, you get exclusive goodies that you'd miss out on if you wait, so don't. I'm going to put the URL in the video description on where to find this Kickstarter, and I'd really appreciate it as always if you would use that link so that they know I sent you. Anyway, huge thanks to Hitpoint Press. It's always an honor working with you guys. Can't wait to see the finished product here. Let's jump into the build. All right, at level one, yes, for a starting class, we're starting Ranger. And as a Ranger, we get to choose between Strength or Dexterity for our key ability score. As a melee character who is interested in stretching our damage as far as we possibly can, yes, we're going to go with Strength for our key ability score here. You could definitely prioritize Dexterity instead if you really wanted, and you wouldn't lose a ton in the damage department. Early on, it's going to feel more significant than later as you get more and more magic items and bonuses to the damage that your weapons are doing, etc, etc, but especially at the beginning, strength is going to help you hit significantly harder. I think if I were going with like a dex-based ranger, I'd probably favor a bow-using build instead, since with the exception of composite bows anyway, bows don't really benefit from strength. They don't add additional damage, right? Though they can put out some decent damage, thanks to the decent damage die that you get from a bow, but also the fact that they have the deadly trait with an extra d10 of damage if you crit. Anyway, yes, for this build we're going to prioritize strength. As for our ancestry, yeah, I'm gonna go human. I almost went dwarf. I think there's a good argument for doing so, and of course other ancestries could do just fine here, but I think human has a mechanical edge for a variety of reasons actually. With human we get two ability score bumps, of our choice, and I want to bump Strength to 14, then Constitution to 12. Now, for our heritage, instead of going versatile like I want to do, I think I'd rather go half-elf here. With half-elf, you get to choose between human and elven, and actually some half-elven ancestry feats, which is kind of cool, I appreciate that diversity. Also, half-elves get low-light vision, and while not as good as straight-up dark vision, it's definitely useful to let you see enemies in dim light without suffering penalties, right? As for the ancestry feat I want to take at level 1, yes, it's going to be Natural Ambition, which gives us a free level 1 class feat. It's really hard to beat this for mechanical advantage when there are multiple level 1 class feats that you want, and I do. The first and most important ranger feat for us is, as many of you are probably predicting, Twin Takedown. This is a fantastic feat to give us some nice action economy efficiency. It tells us that, so long as we're wielding a melee weapon in each hand, we can spend one action to make two strikes, one with each of them, right? Now, our multi-attack penalty does apply to these attacks as normal, so if we did this like first thing on our turn, the first attack would have no penalty and the second would have a lower chance to hit, right? If they both hit, you combine the damage for the sake of overcoming resistance or benefiting from weakness, which is probably going to be a good thing for us more often than not. Now, we can only use Twin Takedown once per round, and since it has the Flourish trait, we can't do any other flourishes on our turn either, so just remember that. Finally, we can only use Twin Takedown on our Hunted Prey, which I will explain in just a moment. As for our background, as usual, it doesn't matter a whole lot. You're mostly going to want to just pick something that fits your character concept, 
but will allow you to bump your strength and then either your dexterity or your constitution. I'm gonna go with Bounty Hunter here. Not only do I think it really fits the ranger concept I'm creating, a hunter who stalks their prey, but gives us a skill feat that I'm gonna want later, the experienced tracker feat, which simply lets us track at full move speed. Normally we move at half move speed when we're tracking a creature. If we take a minus five penalty to our tracking check. As with most skill feats, this might not necessarily add a lot to our damage or survivability, but it's a cool little bit of flair that lets us flesh out the concept and feel of our character, right? Now, this background will let us bump our strength to 16, and then I want to bump our dexterity to 12 as well with the free choice. Next up, we get our free ability boosts. There's four of them, right? And I want to bump strength, taking it to 18. Constitution bumping it to 14, Dexterity to 14, and then Wisdom to 12. The main reason for taking Dexterity to 14 actually is simply to qualify for the multi-classing archetype that we want next level. But I think I also like the idea of a hunter who is not only strong, but fairly agile as well. As for our skill training, we're going to have seven total skills here with A10 intelligence, and that's actually more than any other class except the rogue. We'll have nature and survival plus five more. We get four from our class and then one from our background, right? Now, if there's no rogue in your party, you are probably going to be the best one to be scouting, finding traps, picking locks, etc. thanks to all of your skills. If that's the case, no problem. I'd make sure you get your dexterity to 16 and leave your constitution at 12, and then be sure to get stealth and thievery as skill training here. Otherwise, I'm going to say we should take, in addition to nature and survival, arcana, occultism, religion, society, and crafting. The reason for taking these skills is because those are all the skills tied to recall knowledge, I believe, and that will be important for me for this build as I'll discuss in a moment. As for our starting equipment, I want to buy some hide armor and two dog slicers if we can. The hide armor is great, it has a dex bonus cap of plus two and that's what we've got and then it adds three more on top of that, plus it's pretty cheap, and it just kind of fits the look and feel, I think, of this nature-loving, nature-wandering monster hunter that we're building. As for the dog slicers, I'm guessing that different GMs handle uncommon weapons differently. Dog slicers are uncommon martial weapons, and we are trained as a ranger in martial and simple weapons, right? Dog slicers have the goblin trait, but they are my favorite one-handed, agile, and finesse weapon, primarily because they have the backstabber trait, which means you do one extra damage if you've got the enemy flat-footed. This isn't a huge deal, but I think if we're just crunching numbers, they have a slight edge over other agile options, and yes, we want both of our weapons to be agile. My sense is that most GMs will allow you access to uncommon weapons if you can work a good reason into your backstory as to why you would have one, though they might charge you a little bit more for it. Ronald, the rules lawyer who, you know, I've been playing Pathfinder with, along with some other D&D YouTubers, lets us take uncommon weapons if we can convince him that it makes sense for our character, though he does charge 50% more than the normal price if we want to start out with them at level 1. If you can't get access to goblin weapons by simply writing a compelling reason to have them into your backstory, well... Lucky for you, you're a human, and if you really wanted to, you could take the unconventional weaponry feat for your ancestry feat, and that should get you access to dog slicers 
if you really wanted them bad enough to give up a feat for them. Otherwise, I'm gonna say just use short swords or maybe hatchets or even like a mangosh if you want something more exotic that you could use to parry or disarm if you're okay with less damage, right? Dog slicer isn't gonna be a huge edge regardless. And some would probably argue that maybe the critical specialization effects of different weapons or the other traits would make them even better. So feel free to use something that fits either your concept a little bit better or that gives you some more variety and diversity as to what you can do in combat. As a ranger, at level one, then we get a couple of nice features. First up, Hunt Prey. Hunt Prey requires an action, but it lets you designate a creature as your prey and then gives you some benefits against that creature. One of those we've already discussed is that we can do twin takedown and thereby get two strikes against the target for one action. Now, you may be thinking, as I was in my Thief Rogue build a month ago, Am I out of cards already? <laughs> you know, this doesn't really help us all that much since we're spending an action to designate our target as our prey and then an action to make two strikes where we could just take two actions to make two strikes, right? However, keep in mind that you can designate a creature as your prey if you're simply just tracking them or looking for them. We do get a plus two bonus to perception checks to seek them or to survival checks to track them. So always be on the lookout for footprints or other telltale signs of an enemy so you can be tracking them and thus have them already designated as your prey when combat begins, assuming you ever find them. Of course, once that target is dead, you will need to spend an action to switch targets, but hopefully you'll get at least a couple of rounds of combat against that enemy before having to switch to maintain good action economy. And of course, against a big bad boss, you should get multiple rounds before they die, giving you a lot of benefit from Hunt Prey. Also, a lot of what we do as a ranger benefits from hunt prey, not just twin takedown. So it will almost always be worth making sure that your target is your designated prey. Speaking of benefits of using hunt prey, we also get our subclass here at level one, which for rangers is called our hunter's edge. And as I've mentioned, yes, we're going flurry. Flurry is the thing that makes attacking all of the time so good on a ranger because it tells us that our multiple attack penalty for attacks against specifically our hunted prey are reduced. Instead of suffering a minus five to hit on our second attack, we only suffer a minus three and a minus two with an agile weapon. And instead of a minus 10 to hit on the third and subsequent attacks on our turn, we get a minus six or a minus four with an agile weapon. That is, frankly, kind of amazing, and sort of makes me only ever want to play Flurry Rangers from now on, because I'm not gonna lie, of all of the things that I tend to chafe against in Pathfinder, the really punishing multi-attack penalty is one of the ones I chafe against the most. That and how everything feels like it requires an action sometimes. So yeah, a minus two and a minus four? I can work with that. I also love how this doesn't have to be melee attacks, but can be any strikes so long as you're making them against your hunted prey. Making me feel like, yeah, flurry ranged ranger could be really strong too. We also get one more ranger feat at level one here, the one that all rangers that aren't humans get, right? And I think we ought to take Monster Hunter. First of all, because it really fits the concept and flavor of the character that I'm trying to build here. But also, mechanically, 
I already mentioned that my plan on this character was, yes, to spend all of my actions attacking whenever possible. Which again, isn't so egregious on a flurry ranger as it is for other characters, right? But I'd still really like to provide at least some utility or support to my team in combat if possible, despite using all of my actions to just attack over and over, and Monster Hunter gives us the potential to do just that. It tells us that, as part of the action we use to hunt prey, we can attempt to recall knowledge about our target as well. No additional action required, and that's great. As a reminder, recall knowledge is super useful in that if we succeed on our check, the DC and skill for which is simply determined by the GM, we can learn something useful about our enemy that can benefit our entire party, such as their potential weaknesses or resistances or what their best or worst saving throws might be, etc, etc. What's more, if we critically succeed at our recall knowledge check with Monster Hunter, we and our allies that we tell about it gain a plus one circumstance bonus to our next attack roll against the enemy. This bonus only works once per day per creature, but it's still just a nice way to get a free recall knowledge check by doing the thing that we're already doing, and at least potentially provide some nice utility and buffing to our party while we're basically just spending all of our actions making attacks, right? Anyway. This is the reason I wanted to get trained in the skills I chose, so we could always have trained proficiency at least in just about anything we might need to use to recall knowledge on a creature. At level 2, we get yet another ranger feat, and I want to take Monster Warden. I feel like if we're taking Monster Hunter, we might as well go all in on the potential utility and support it can provide, and Monster Warden just builds on it. It tells us that when we do grant that plus one to hit bonus by critically succeeding on our recall knowledge check from Monster Hunter, our party also gets a plus one circumstance bonus to our next save against that creature and a plus one to our AC on the creature's next attack against us. To be fair, it only applies when we critically succeed, so it might not happen all that often, but when it does, it's going to be really nice because, as everybody knows, every plus one counts in Pathfinder. We do get a skill feat at every even-numbered level as well, and I'm just going to say pick your favorite here, PYF, and pretty much every time we get a skill feat. To reiterate something I said in my Magus build, Magus, maybe, I know, I know, a lot of you think that magus is the correct way to say it, but I think it just makes sense to, to have it sound like magic, whatever. Skill feats are awesome, and generally speaking, they serve more to kind of flesh out the feel and concept of your character, more than grant a particular mechanical advantage, with some exceptions, of course. If I weren't serving as the party's rogue on this character and had invested into Monster Hunter and Warden, I might start taking assurance in the various recall knowledge skills here, starting, I'd guess, with occultism or arcana, so that when we attempt a recall knowledge check, we could just add an automatic 10 to our proficiency bonus instead of roll the die. But that's by no means necessary, and again, you should pick your favorite in a way that makes you feel like you are really fleshing out the feel and flavor and concept of your character. Also, at level 2, yes, I do assume that you're playing with the free archetype variant rule here as the vast majority of tables seem to do, and that means we would get a free archetype feat here, and I'm gonna go with the fighter dedication. This is going to let us take our multiple two-weapon fighting attacking to the absolute limit, eventually. 
For now, it's just going to give us training in simple and martial weapons, which we already have, and training in acrobatics or athletics. I'd probably go with athletics if we didn't take that at level 1. It seems to be a little more generally useful in Pathfinder in my experience thus far. At level 3, we get a general feat, and I'm going to take fleet, and I feel like I'm going to take fleet on the vast majority of my characters. <laughs> It just increases your move speed by 5 feet, and since we went human, we were only at 25 feet. And, I don't know, 30 just feels a lot better to me. My experience of Pathfinder thus far is that move speed tends to matter maybe even a little bit more than it does in D&D. That might just be because you don't get to move and then also take different actions and bonus actions in Pathfinder. You actually have to, you know, sacrifice one of your actions every time you try to move, right? Even if you're just standing up. So getting the most out of that movement just feels super important to me. We also get Iron Will at this level, which increases our will saves to expert training, and that's kind of impressive actually, since now all of our saves and our perception are at expert level. I think that's earlier than most classes can say that in Pathfinder 2e, and it makes me happy. For the skill increase that we get at level 3, I think I'm going to want to take our nature skill to expert. Of all of the skills that could be used to recall knowledge, it's definitely the one that we have the highest advantage on, since it uses our wisdom as opposed to intelligence. And it also seems like one that we'd use to recall knowledge fairly often, especially if you're fighting a lot of beasts or animals or plants in your campaign, right? We will especially want a good nature score later on, but not until much later. At level 4, we get another ranger feat, and I think I would take favored enemy here. Twin parry is great if you want to regularly spend one of your actions to improve your defense, but like I've said, we're going full attack mode here, and I'm going to assume that we're just using all of our attacks to see how far we can stretch our sustained damage, right? As for favored enemy, it's way better in Pathfinder 2e than the player's handbook version we got in D&D 5e. It's actually kind of useful and cool. You choose a type of creature, animals, beasts, dragons, or fungi and plants, as your favored enemy. And then, when you roll initiative and can see one of your favored enemy, you can hunt prey for free on them, which is a really nice way to save an action at the beginning of combat if you weren't already tracking them before combat broke out, right? As for the skill feat we get at level 4, again, PYF, just go ahead and pick whatever feat best fits your character's concept or flavor. I think for me, I'd probably again go Assurance in one of my Recall Knowledge skills, but pick your favorite. But then, for the Fighter Archetype feat that we get here at level 4, I'm going to take Basic Maneuver, which lets us learn a first or second level fighter feat. And this is kind of where the core of this build all comes together and feels complete to me, because we are going to take the Double Slice feat. And it's just perfect for the whirlwind of blades that is our Flurry Ranger. With Double Slice, we use two actions to make two strikes against our enemy, one with each of our weapons, right, in each hand. The beauty of it is that since we're using two agile weapons, both strikes are made with the same multiple attack penalty. If the second weapon was not an agile weapon, then it would have a minus two to hit. So if we do this first on our turn before making other strikes, then neither attack is going to have a penalty at all, and that's pretty dang powerful. Admittedly, it might be even stronger on a class that has a more painful multi 
attack penalty than we do, but it just kind of takes what we're already doing and ramps it up to 11. Just like with Twin Takedown, Double Slice combines the attacks for the purpose of resistance and weakness. Now, it does count as two attacks when calculating our multiple attack penalty for any strikes that might come afterwards, but still, getting that second strike off with no penalty at all is pretty wonderful and it's going to do nice things for our numbers once we get to our first damage report. At level five, we get ability score boosts. Hooray. Let's bump strength to 19, constitution to 18, wisdom to 14, and then instead of dexterity, since we don't really need it to get any higher for either damage or our armor class, I'd say let's go ahead and bump intelligence here, taking it to 12 to help us out with those recall knowledge checks instead. We get another ancestry feat at level five, and since we're half elf, I think I'd probably steal from the elf side of our heritage and take nimble elf to get another five feet of move speed. Having 35 feet of move speed as a non-monk human feels pretty awesome. For our skill increase, I think I'd actually bump survival to expert here, but I'm not gonna get into the mechanical reasons for doing so until next level. Now, all rangers get the trackless step feature at level five as well. This simply allows us to always gain the benefit of taking the cover tracks action without moving at half speed like you normally would, so long as we are in natural terrains. So, you know, outdoors, in the forest, in the woods, in the swamp, maybe even in a cave, etc. As a reminder, when you're in exploration mode, i.e. out of combat in Pathfinder 2e, you always designate what your character is doing, whether scouting, trying to avoid notice, seeking, trying to recall knowledge, etc. One of those tasks that you can do is cover tracks, which means if someone else is trying to track you, they now have to succeed at a survival check against your survival DC. This lets you just do that for free and then focus on doing something else while exploring, which is situationally pretty useful. We also get weapon expertise at level five, and this is a very important feature for us as it not only gives us expert training in simple and martial weapons, increasing our hit chance by two, but it also gives us critical specialization effects of all simple and martial weapons when we get a critical hit against our hunted prey. That's kind of awesome, since critical specializations can potentially do a lot of really cool things. They can make an enemy flat-footed if you're using swords like we are, or do persistent bleed damage if you're using knives, or cleave through to a second enemy that's standing nearby with axes, to knocking them back with clubs, or prone with hammers, etc. I am in love with critical specialization effects in Pathfinder. So much so that it kind of makes me want to switch to a different weapon here because flat-footed with swords is sort of boring. I'm already assuming that the enemy is flat-footed because we're trying to flank them, right? And there's so many ways to potentially get an enemy flat-footed. So yeah, feel free to switch to light hammers here if you want to knock an enemy prone on a critical hit because they would then be flat-footed and have to stand up on their turn, right? Or maybe star knife if you wanted to make them bleed. I'm gonna stick with dog slicers, but you do you. Okay. At level five, it is time for our first damage report. So let's discuss what I'm hoping combat looks like for us at this level. First of all, I'm assuming you've got your target marked as your hunted prey. Obviously, there are times when you're going to have to spend an action to do this. But again, keep in mind that you can often start tracking your target before combat begins 
which will help. And sometimes you'll even get a free use of Hunt Prey when you're going up against your favored enemy, right? Regardless, once you've got them marked and you're in melee range of them, of course, we're going to go into full-on blender mode. First off, we would use Double Slice to get two strikes with no multi-attack penalty. With our third and final action, then we would, yes, use Twin Takedown to get two more strikes. Now, these two Twin Takedown strikes would be made at our highest penalty, but again, since we are a flurry ranger using agile weapons against our hunted prey, that's only a minus four to hit. And while that's kind of a bummer, it's so much better than really any other class would get making a third and even fourth strike on their turn. This, by the way, is better than going twin takedown first and then using double slice, right? Since twin takedown does apply the multiple attack penalty on the second attack, but it never gets worse for us than minus four. So if we started with Twin Takedown, it would mean no penalty on the first attack, minus two on the second, and then double slice at minus four each. Starting double slice, we get no penalty on the first two strikes, then a minus four on the last two, right? Naturally, if you need to hunt prey and move up to a target on your turn, then your final action should be Twin Takedown. It might be nice to get two strikes on your target, even when you need to be doing other things, and that's the real beauty of the Flurry Ranger, I think. Anyway. If everything hit, we would do 2d6 for each weapon strike. Remember, we're using the automatic bonus progression table here, which tells us that at this point, among other things, we would have a plus one to hit with our weapons and two dice of damage for each weapon instead of one die, right? We're adding also plus one for backstabber. Again, I'm assuming best case scenario, meaning yes, we've got them flanked or otherwise flat-footed. I know that's not going to be the case every time. Plus four for our strength modifier for a grand total of 8d6 plus 20 damage. And thus, against enemies that would be considered to have a low armor class, which at this level is a 19, we would on average do 53 damage per round. And against high enemy armor classes here, which is a 22, it would be 38 DPR. And compared to other builds that I've done to date, that's actually just a little bit worse than all of them, until you're going up against what's considered the extreme enemy armor class at this level, which is a 25, at which point it pulls ahead of everyone but the thief. Man, the more of these builds I do, the more I realize how good the Thief Rogue is for damage. Getting an extra 2d6 of damage on every hit thanks to sneak attack is really strong. Now, I do appreciate the really consistent damage levels of the Flurry Ranger, though. It will be a lot of fun to be really effective even at those third and fourth attacks when you get them, and even against fairly high enemy armor classes, right? And I mean, heck, even to be making third and fourth attacks on your turn somewhat regularly will feel a little odd and also powerful. More than that, I really love the potential utility and buffing we're getting here from Monster Hunter every time we use Hunt Prey, which will be a lot. I'm pretty happy with where we're at. Let's see where we can go from here. All right, at level six, we get another Ranger feat, and I wanna take Swift Tracker. I really like this feat. If we have the experienced Tracker feat, and we got that with our background, remember, and we're an expert in survival, which we are as of last level, right? Then we can take this feat, which tells us that we can move at full speed while tracking, but more importantly, if we roll survival for initiative while tracking our hunted prey, which I think we will be doing a fair bit of the time, then on our first turn of combat, we can stride toward our hunted prey as a free action. That's kind of awesome. Having to spend an action to move 
can still feel a little bit painful for D&D veterans. So starting combat, being able to just go full on blender right on round one will be really great when you can pull it off. Your target is already designated as your hunted prey if you've been tracking them or if they're your favorite enemy. And now you get to move for free too at the beginning of combat, which means right on round one, you still have all three of your actions to make your four attacks with. You are an instant blender. As for our skill feat here, again, PYF, pick your favorite. And then for the fighter archetype feat, I wanna take Opportunist. This lets us get the fighter's attack of opportunity feature, and it's just slightly better, I think, than the ranger's version, which is called Disrupt Prey. And we could have taken that at fourth level, but Disrupt Prey only triggers if the enemy takes a move or manipulate action. And Attack of Opportunity works if the enemy makes a ranged attack as well as a move or manipulate action, right? Might as well have as many ways to get that free reaction attack as possible, I figure. At level seven, we get evasion, and this increases our reflex save proficiency to master and gives us an automatic critical success when we get a success on our reflex saves, which will oftentimes just let us completely avoid taking any damage from whatever was causing us to have to make that save in the first place, and that's wonderful. We also get Vigilant Senses. This raises our perception proficiency to master as well. Fantastic. We also get Weapon Specialization, and this lets us do two more damage with weapons if we have expert training in them. And remember, we have expert training in all simple and martial weapons. More damage, more good. We also get another general feat at this level. And yeah, kind of boring, I guess, but I think toughness is the way to go here for just one more hit point per character level. I like numbers. I'm not sorry. As for the skill increase we get at this level, I think we should bump survival again up to master now that it's allowed since we're level seven, right? This is less because I want to be really good at tracking, though I do, and more because I think we'll be using survival for our initiative roles more often than not, especially since doing so now could potentially let us get a free stride on round one thanks to Swift Tracker, right? At level eight, we get another ranger feat, and I think I'd like to take Warden's Boon. This might be surprisingly unselfish selfish for me, but everyone keeps saying that optimization in Pathfinder is as much about teamwork as it is about individual strength, and this is a really fantastic teamwork feat. It takes an action to use, but doing so lets us grant the benefits we have from Hunt Prey and, more importantly, our Hunter's Edge, Flurry, to an ally until the end of their next turn. So yes, this means for the cost of an action, you could give your barbarian friend who's swinging a great axe that does 2d12 damage on a hit plus rage bonuses and who knows what else a greatly reduced multi-attack penalty if you wanted to and that would go a long ways towards not only make them your best friend ever but also towards making your enemy deader more dead if you wanted to go the selfish route i'd probably take blind fight instead here which basically makes it better and easier for us to detect concealed, hidden, and even undetected creatures, especially considering that we don't have true dark vision on this character. I'm sure that would really come in handy sometimes. But yeah, I'm gonna be a GigaChad teammate instead and stick with Warden's Boon. As for our skill feat at level eight, pick your favorite. And then 
For the fighter archetype feat, I'd probably go advanced maneuver, which lets us take a fighter feat equal to half our character level, or a level 4 fighter feat for us here. As for which feat to take, I think I'd probably go with quick reversal. It's not something that we'd be using all of the time, but can really help turn the tide of a battle, potentially. It says that when we're flanked by at least two enemies, which, despite our best intentions, is just gonna happen from time to time, and is a pretty bad place to be in. You can now, with this feat, use one action to make a strike against two of those enemies with the same weapon, using the same multiple attack penalty. Best of all, the second strike doesn't even count toward your multiple attack penalty. So, theoretically, in this situation, you might use one action to make two attacks against two different enemies that are flanking you, then double slice your designated prey target at only a minus two to hit. Blender mode indeed. Flank me more, please. At level 9, we get another Ancestry feat, and I'm really excited to be taking Multi-Talented from the Human Ancestry list. This allows us to take a second level multi-class dedication feat, which is freaking fantastic because I want to take the rogue dedication so we can get more skills and even a little more damage. So yeah, this is the most multi-classed Pathfinder character I've created to date. Mm, feels like home. With rogue dedication, we get a number of things. First up, we get to take one skill from untrained to trained. I'm going to say pick your favorite. We also get training in stealth or thievery if we're not already, or another skill of our choice if we are. We are becoming quite the skill monkey here. Then we get a free skill feat. As usual, pick your favorite here. That lets you really match your vision for your whirling dervish ranger. Finally, the rogue dedication gives us the rogue's surprise attack feature, which says that if we're using deception or stealth for initiative, which to be fair, I don't think we often will be, since we're going to want to be using survival and tracking our prey whenever possible. But if we were, then creatures who haven't acted yet on round one are flat-footed to us, so that's nice. Rangers also get Nature's Edge at ninth level, which means enemies are flat-footed to us if they're in natural difficult terrain. On natural uneven ground, like standing on some rubble or tree roots or something, or in difficult terrain resulting from a snare, which is something that rangers can potentially make great use of, but we weren't worried about snares for this character. That's a different build. I don't expect this is going to come up all that often, but it'll be nice when it does. We also get ranger expertise here, which increases our ranger class DC to expert. I don't think we're actually going to be using that all that much on this build, but Good to know, just in case. As for the skill increase that we get at this level, I think I would take our nature skill to master, primarily for something that we get next level, because finally, for us, on this character, at level 10, we would get another ranger feat, and I would really love to have master monster hunter here. We have truly built like a Geralt of Rivia type character, right? One who's just an absolute savant at knowing and tracking monsters, and I love it. This feat tells us that so long as we have the Monster Hunter feat, and we have master proficiency in nature, which we do now, we can use our nature skill to recall knowledge to identify any creature, regardless of what type of creature they are. 
What's more, if you critically succeed on that check, you gain the benefits of Monster Hunter and Monster Ward, and remember, bonuses to hit, bonuses to AC, bonuses to saving throws, in addition to when you simply get a regular success, no longer just on a critical success. So yeah, this just creates a ton of synergy for our character here. We're getting to recall knowledge for free when we use Hunt Prey, right? And now, on even a regular success, if we're trying to recall knowledge to identify the creature, anyway, we and our entire party, so long as we call it out to them, can get a plus one to hit on their first attack, a plus one to AC, and saves against attacks by the creature, all made with our very strong nature skill check. I love it. For the skill feat we get at level 10, again, pick your favorite, but if you have been taking assurance in things like arcana and occultism, you might want to train out of those skill feats at this point, when you've got some downtime anyway, since they are a little bit less useful to us now with Master Monster Hunter. Not totally useless, again, Master Monster Hunter only works when you're recalling knowledge to identify a creature, right? But anyway, something to consider. For the rogue now, archetype feat that we get at level 10, no longer fighter, I am for sure taking sneak attacker, which tells us that we get a like light version of the rogue's sneak attack, doing an extra 1d6 of damage, now that we're past level 6 anyway, on each strike we make to a flat-footed creature with an agile or finesse weapon. This is great, but don't forget, double slice tells us that we can only apply precision damage once from that activity, even if both attacks hit and would otherwise apply precision damage, and yes, sneak attack does precision damage, unfortunately, for us here. This means that we'd only get it on three of our four attacks that we're making on our turn, right? But hey, an extra potential 3d6 of damage is pretty nice, and we will gladly take it. Finally, at level 10, we get more ability boosts, and I'm gonna wanna bump strength to 20, Constitution to 19, Wisdom to 16, and then, since we might not need Intelligence as much as we used to with Recall Knowledge, I'd probably go back to Dexterity here. It's better for our Reflex saves, but also, now that we've got all these Rogue skills, we might as well be a little better at Stealth and Thievery, right? If we weren't already prioritizing that before. Okay. For our second and final damage report here at level 10, since last check, we have bumped our strength modifier by one. We've gained another plus one to hit from the automatic bonus progression table. We're adding a d6 to three of our four attacks, thanks to sneak attack, plus two damage to each attack, thanks to weapon specialization, and have otherwise added a whole slew of utility, defense, and even support options, thanks to all of our feats and abilities that we've gained. But at this level then, against enemies with a low armor class, which would be a 27 at level 10, we would on average do 70 damage per round. And against a high AC, which would be a 30 here, we would do 51 DPR. And compared to the other builds that I've done to date, that puts us a little bit ahead of the Magus at all enemy armor classes, but still pretty significantly below the Thief by comparison at this level. So, let's break down how we feel about it all in our final thoughts. I will be honest, based on everything that I'd heard and read about the Flurry Ranger, I expected them to perform a little bit more strongly compared to the other builds that I've done to date. Not that they're lousy or anything, don't get me wrong, but I think I just expected that really fantastically reduced multi-attack penalty to give us a bigger boost than it seemed to compared to other builds. But 
I guess if I think about it, you know, the Magus, ugh, fine, Magus, was only making one attack per turn, one big, fueled, powerful spell strike, right? So they didn't care about the multi-attack penalty at all. And even though the Thief was making three or sometimes four, if they weren't demoralizing, they were using agile weapons to make it a little less painful. And yeah, if they were demoralizing, they were reducing the enemy AC even further. And that sneak attack damage was just so significant that it made up for the fact that it was a little harder for them to land all of their attacks. That shouldn't be too surprising, I suppose. It kind of follows the old great weapon master sharpshooter theory, right? Taking a penalty to hit is worth it if the bonus damage you get in return is big enough. The real thing that puts that thief rogue above everyone else to date, though, is the 75% chance I was calculating for them to get an attack with their reaction, right? Via either disrupt prey or opportune backstab. Maybe I need to tone that percentage down a little bit. I don't know. I feel like I probably should. Regardless, the Flurry Ranger is very strong. Their damage is a little more consistent too, meaning that graph is a lot flatter as the enemy AC increases compared to other builds. And you guys know how much I love a flat damage arc on a graph, right? Check the video description for links to those graphs and spreadsheets. But you add all the fun utility that this character can bring to the table via tracking, recalling knowledge, and actually making great use of that recall knowledge to benefit both themselves and often their entire party. And yeah, I kind of feel like we've got a low magic witcher on our hands and I am here for it. It's super fun to have a character that doesn't just meet the concept and archetype of being great at hunting, tracking, and knowing their enemy and the lay of the land for flavor's sake that you get when you build a ranger, right? But this ranger actually brings some really fun and useful and even powerful mechanical benefits along with them for having all of that knowledge about the wild and the creatures who inhabit it. And that might be the thing that I love about the Pathfinder ranger most of all. So that's the build for the week. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you know how much I love you, because I do. Thank you so much for being here, for supporting me. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a really great day and a fantastic week, and that you stay safe, and that you be good, and kind, and happy, and that I see you again really soon. But until then, take care. candle going today. It's, it's my ranger candle, so it seemed fitting. Didn't really have anywhere to put it where you could actually see it except for on the arm of the chair. So, I mean, it's pretty stable. Hopefully it won't start a fire. I've been around, I've seen it all, the love that blooms before the fall. The garden's wild with all the love Till the end came from high above But something there still holds my eye There's nothing left for me to write No reason to fight or even ask why. There is this band 
they're not together anymore, actually, as far as I know. They're called Girly Man. And um, I discovered them 20 years ago. They put out songs with the most beautiful harmonies of any band I've ever heard in my life. You should absolutely check them out if that sounds intriguing to you. Hmm, I think I got the lighting about as good as I'm going to get it. I had this great plan for, like, blocking out the window, and I had magnets, but apparently the frame around the window, even though it's metal, the magnets don't stick to it for some reason, so that so that plan went out the window, and I don't have time to go home and get some duct tape. <sighs> we're, we're figuring it out. Sometimes working in a shared office space can be frustrating. Fly. <laughs> Eagle! Any other Scrubs fans out there? My wife and I used to watch the show religiously, and um, we love the podcast that Zach Braff and uh, Donald Faison do. Um, the rewatch podcast, it's called Fake Doctors Real Friends. Check it out if you're a fan. Or if you just want to feel like you're hanging out with two kind of cool and funny guys. Can you hear the candle? It's making like some snap, crackle, pop noises. And now I'm worried that the mic is going to be picking it up and then for the whole video it's going to just be this little in the background and it's going to drive everybody crazy. Alright, I just listened and it didn't seem to be particularly obtrusive so let me know if you disagree. <laughs> well, don't say that.